This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Again, welcome. Welcome to Church of the Harvest, whether you're with us here in person or, like I said, I know we have um, uh, one of our guys, Mike Reed, is over at Rolling Hills this morning with the residents there having service uh, via the live stream, and we're thankful for you guys. And uh, guys, we're just a small group. We're a, we're, a, we're, a, we're a community group in the body of Christ. We love the Lord, and because of that, we choose just like him to love people and to serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, guys, if you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? Make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and our Everything we do falls under that. Expanding the kingdom, amen? And <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Um, today we are going to begin a new series. And, uh, and guys, I originally, um, I, I originally had thought about a discussion we had a number of weeks ago. Do you remember when we talked, I was reading to you out of Psalm 84, I, I, I don't know, maybe it was two months ago, and we read in Psalm 84 in, in verse 5, it said, blessed are those whose strength is in you. And it said, as they pass through the valley of Baca, what did Baca mean? Tears. As they pass through the valley of tears, the desert, the dry places, the valleys, the tough times, they make it a place of spring. Who's they? People who find their strength in him, right? They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover with pools, and they go from strength to strength. Now, we talked about this, about how, how no matter what we're walking through in life, as we read this, we can see even when we reach the end of ourselves, when we reach the end of our strength, we tap into his strength, and we keep on trucking, right? Because he's got us. It talked about, we looked at different versions and as we read in, in con, this in context, it talked about how as we walk through these desert places, we walk through these valleys, we walk through the wilderness, whatever it may be, it says as we, as we find our strength in him, it says that we actually dig wells or cisterns or some versions say ditches and springs come forth. And I, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a promise to me. I'm thankful for it. And so in this, I really had this word stirring in me, a word that we've heard quite a few times this morning, the words, make room. Everybody say, make room. Yeah. Had these words that we make room for him in every area of our lives. How of you know that's a good thing? That's what we need to do. But the more I focus, usually I kind of have the word by like November. I kind of have the word for the next year kind of stirring. And make room was there, but I just could not settle it within me. And the problem was, what I found was, the two words make room were running a little short inside of me. It's almost like it wasn't enough, if that makes any sense. And so I'm actually, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to touch on that closer to the end. Uh, but, uh, but we are beginning a new series, which will kind of be our theme for the year, and I'm calling it Heaven on Earth. Everybody say, Heaven on Earth. Heaven on Earth. And so, um, so today we're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to talk, begin talking about the kingdom of God. You, 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 you guys have heard Jesus as he refers to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He many times uses those interchangeably. The kingdom of God or the kingdom. And by the way, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not necessarily talking about a location. Okay? That's, that's why when people hear the kingdom of heaven, many times a lot of even Christians immediately think that Jesus is talking about heaven. Well, heaven is a location, right? It's a place. People think, well, one day I'll go and I'll go to the kingdom of heaven. 
It's not what he's talking about here, guys. This is not what he's referring to. And that's what I want to look at. And so in Luke chapter 17, in Luke 17, verse 20, Jesus is speaking. And he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. They were all looking for the kingdom of God. He said, nor will they say, oh, look, here it is. Or, oh, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is what? In your midst. I think this confounded the disciples. I don't think they had any idea what in the world that meant. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But I want that to be my very first point today. I got four points today. By the way, you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app if you have that on your mobile device. If you don't have a physical Bible today, you can use that. If you hit more and hit events, it'll be, your notes for today should just pop up on your screen. Number one, my first point I want to make is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's here. It's here. What does it say? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, heaven is a location. I'm not there today. I'm not in heaven by location. Are you in heaven right now? Nope. We find ourselves in the earth right now, correct? So when he's talking about this, I don't believe for a second that he's talking about a location. It's not about that. This is not referring to that. And as a matter of fact, in Matthew 16, 19, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Again, he's not referring to one day when you, when you die. He's actually referring to now when you look at it. Um, during our series, A Life of Worship, remember how I talked about one week, one week I talked about how a worshiper lives a life of devotion to a different kingdom? And, and we talked about this for a minute, that our ultimate allegiance is not to um, a political leader. Our ultimate allegiance is not even to the United States of America, correct? We made a decision and we swore allegiance to a king. We swore allegiance to a Christ, to a Messiah, to God's final king who came to establish a kingdom that to this natural world looked like an upside down kingdom. It was an upside down, go to the back of the line, others first kind of kingdom that made no sense. It was a king that came to give his life. He, he didn't require his servants to give his life. He gave his life first. He, he's a king who said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. The world had never seen anything like this before, and so they didn't recognize it for what it was. They didn't recognize him for who he was. He was a king who constantly rejected the tools, the postures, the tones, and the attitudes of the kingdoms of this world. We are citizens of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of of heaven. Now, the word kingdom simply refers to, and I, I mean, you know, kingdom's not a word that we use a whole lot today, right? Because the word kingdom uh, generally refers to a, a realm over which a king rules and reigns. So we don't have a lot of true kings. We have people who, you know, may declare themselves king, but we don't have many kings in the earth today that, that call their land a, a kingdom. It's not real common. But when it's applied to God, uh, and we reply to think about kingdom in reference to God, um, it, it really, uh, according to Psalm 103, it could refer to all creation because Psalm 103 tells us that his kingdom rules over all. So all of creation could be considered his kingdom, right? But 
And more often than not, in Scripture, when it refers to the kingdom, it is referring, it's talking about his rule and reign through those who are submitted to him. So how many of you remember when Jesus and Nicodemus have their little discussion? Nicodemus comes to him, and Jesus answers him in John chapter 3, verse 3, answers his question, and basically just confounds Nicodemus from the very first thought there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, that already Nicodemus goes, what? How can I enter back into my mother's womb? Y'all remember this? Unless one is born again, he cannot, what's the next word? See the kingdom of God. It says, if you're not born again, we know this refers to making Jesus Lord of your life, surrendering to his lordship. It said, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, can we conclude that if it's possible to see the kingdom of God, then it must be here and able to be seen, right? It's here. It's present if we are able to see it. You can't see it, it says, unless you are born again into the kingdom. How do you know the kingdom of God is everywhere? But in these terms, it's not manifest everywhere. God sent Jesus to establish the kingdom. It's headed by Christ and established in the earth through the good news, through the gospel. It's, uh, you become part of that kingdom when you receive Jesus as Lord and you are born again. And how many of you know, when it talks about see the kingdom of God, how many of you know when you're born again, you begin to see differently? You see things that others don't see. You begin to hear things that others don't hear. You begin to know things that others don't know. Even though you may be in the same natural location as them, you begin to see, hear, and know things that they don't know, see, or hear because your spirit is part of a new kingdom. So, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not about location. It has to do with citizenship and allegiance. Salvation is more than forgiveness of sin. Salvation is the doorway to the kingdom of God. You're born again. You're born again, not, uh, that's what confused Nicodemus. You're not born again physically into this earthly kingdom, right? That would be awfully weird. <laughs> How does that work? No, you're born again into the kingdom of God. We all know John 3, 16, right? Everybody say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So everlasting life, well, that refers to heaven, right? That means I won't, I, I won't go to hell when I die. Well, while it's true that everlasting life does mean that you'll go to heaven when you die, that is the smallest portion of what everlasting life means. The smallest that's not what it's all about, which brings me to our second point. Everlasting life starts the moment you say yes to Jesus. That's what John 3.16 is saying. It's talking about the moment you surrender your heart to him fully, truly. You repent, you turn, and you choose to follow him. Everlasting life starts the day that you say yes. It doesn't begin in heaven. Listen, your existence, whether physically and spiritually, your existence is either lived out in darkness or in light, right? 
It's either lived out in death or in life. I mean, you know, everybody gets confused. They, you know, they, they, they go back to Genesis and God said, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die. And, and yep, we saw them die. But how many know they continue on in eternity? Every person does. We're, we're thinking of natural life. How many of you know when it comes to our true selves, our spirit, we will never die in the natural sense, correct? We will continue our existence in darkness or in light. In death or in life. Now, we were born into this world under the curse of sin, right? We didn't have a say in that. We were born into it. We were destined, from the moment we were born, we were destined to carry out our existence in darkness, in death. For all of our lifetime, until the moment we die, and then for all of eternity. But Jesus changed everything, right? Jesus gives his life, and now if you surrender to his lordship and you are born again, guess what? You become a new creation. You're no longer under that curse that you were born into in the earth. You're born into the kingdom of God. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you died with him spiritually on the cross. And you were born into a brand new kingdom. Not born into death as you were when you were born physically, but born into life. You were spiritually born into a new kingdom, a new citizenship. Everlasting moment, everlasting life started the very moment you said yes to Jesus and entered the kingdom of God. So, with that said, how many of you know that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we have a mission in this natural world, right? So, look at what Paul says. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter, you don't have to, actually, I'm just, it's very short. I can just read it to you real quick. 2 Corinthians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 20 says, therefore, it's Paul speaking, we are ambassadors for Christ. You already heard that word this morning, didn't we? The Lord gave. Paul is referring to himself and other believers who are part of the kingdom, who are born again. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. Let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. I like this. We are ambassadors of the anointed one, of Jesus, who carry the message of Christ, the gospel, to the world. I love this. As though God were tenderly pleading with them, with the world, directly through our lips. I like everything in that scripture except as though. Because God is tenderly pleading with the world through our lips. Now, the word ambassador, we come back to that for a minute. Paul sees, he calls himself and others like him ambassadors of the anointed one. So I know what ambassador is. You probably know what ambassador is. But I, I looked it up for just a moment. I read a little bit about ambassadors. Now, an ambassador is a high-ranking person sent by their government to the government of their country to another country, Right? The ambassador is the official representative of his country, his kingdom, his nation, correct? He's the official representative. He's the mouthpiece. If, if we, the United States ambassador to whatever nation, he's the mouthpiece for the United States. He's the mouthpiece for our government. He's the mouthpiece for our president, right? 
The ambassador communicates with the country where he is sent about the issues and problems between his country and the country to which he was sent. Something interesting is many times ambassadors, they don't even speak the language of the nation to where they're sent. They come into this nation and they're different. They speak a completely different language. They got to use a translator to even communicate. They are there to solve problems and to cultivate relationship in both in between their two countries. In both, I found this very interesting. In both tradition and law, ambassadors have diplomatic immunity. This was fascinating to me. While he generally respects and honors the laws of the nation where he is residing, he is ultimately only answerable to his home nation. So if there's a problem with him, if they decide they don't, this country doesn't like this ambassador from the United States of America, or if they feel that he has violated a law, they can't sentence him to death and they can't imprison him. The worst thing they can do to him is send him home. Isn't that interesting? Y'all putting this together? We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God to humanity. Amen? Isn't that what Paul's saying? We're ambassadors from the kingdom of God sent to humanity on this fallen earth to restore diplomatic relations between the residents of this world and our king. Do you see it? It, it is the only reason we're here. Only. That's why I started struggling a little bit with the words make room. It's a good thought, but is it enough? Is it enough? We've been sent by our king to carry out this task, and it is a great honor. So we have a mission, and we have a responsibility in this natural world. Now, I want to narrow this kingdom thing down just a little bit further. How many remember when Jesus taught us to pray? It's Matthew 6, right? You're in the Sermon on the Mount. The first words, what is it? Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name, right? Thy kingdom come. This is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. Thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Guys, remember, we talked about this a little while back. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the Jews kept looking for Jesus to an establish a physical kingdom here on earth and deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. Isn't that what they expected him to do? That's what the disciples thought. But eventually they realized that he did not come to make over or take over the kingdom of this world. He came to establish a brand new kingdom. Matthew 6, I'm sorry, uh, Luke 17, 20, Jesus said, now we just read this a minute ago, and we read it from the NIV. Now, when we look at it in the New King James, he says, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. That's my third point, number three. The kingdom of God refers to our citizenship. The kingdom of God refers to our citizenship. When, it, when Christ rules and reigns 
in our hearts, in our lives. So when we pray, when we pray like Jesus said, we pray, thy kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. What we're praying for is the expansion and influence of God's rule and reign in the hearts of mankind everywhere. The establishment of his kingdom here on earth just like it is in heaven. See, guys, the new birth establishes, really it ushers us into the kingdom of God, which is so much greater in in wonder and benefit than our eyes and than our mind can ever imagine. That, that's, why, that's why the Bible says all of God's promises are yes and amen. Not one day when we die. They are yes. Yes. Whenever we see one of God's promises, we can say yes in my life to it every single time. Because his kingdom is here and we are citizens of that kingdom to which we have pledged allegiance. That's why we can extend our faith and receive today and walk in God's unmerited favor. Like dad said this morning, uncommon favor like a shield. Yeah, that's good. We can receive and walk in God's peace and joy regardless of the circumstances of what happens in this natural life. We can receive, extend our faith and receive healing and health and protection and provision and the, all the promises of God's word. They are yes and they are amen for you today because the kingdom of God is here and it's within you, Right? I, all these things I mentioned, God's favor, his peace, his joy, his health, his healing, his protection, his, his provision. Are these things God's will in heaven? Yes. Everybody say yes. yes. Then it's his will here. Your kingdom come, your will be done here in my life, in my community, in my family, just like it is in heaven right now. Y'all understand the significance of this? This prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, implies that the kingdom of heaven is wherever and whenever God's will is being established. God's will is being done. And God and Jesus implies in this that he wants his kingdom to come to earth in your community, in your family, in your church, in the earth. The kingdom comes through our obedience. Which brings me to number four. My fourth point is his kingdom comes through us. His kingdom comes through us. Guys, if you have surrendered yourself to the lordship of Jesus, you are a carrier of the kingdom of God. You're a carrier of the kingdom of heaven. And you have every right to experience all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven right now, today, and to extend that same thing to others. We got to remember we're still living in a fallen world, so that doesn't mean that tough times and circumstances and situations won't arise. But as an ambassador, you have the full backing of heaven. You have the full backing of the Father. You have the full backing of Jesus. You know, our ambassadors that are abroad all over the world, they don't have to be scared. When some diplomat comes to them and threatens them, <laughs> they don't have to be afraid. Because that nation does something to them, it's a declaration of war. They have the backing of the United States military, right? Guys, you have the backing of all of heaven. 
No matter what circumstance, no matter what situation arises, no matter what the doctor tells you, no matter what your family member does, no matter how it happens in your finances, you have all the backing of heaven. So why in the world would we ever fear? You can not only experience heaven on earth, you can release heaven on earth. That's what we're here to do. You can release in the physical what has already been released in the spiritual for you. You can release it to others. How do we bring heaven to earth? (laughs) We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But here's what I think the most important thing is. We ask the question, how do we bring heaven to earth? There's, to me, I felt that there's three things we have to do. Number one, before we do anything, anything else in this life, we've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember where our allegiance lies. And we've got to remember why we're here. Guys, I'm talking first thing, first priority in your life. Know who you are, where your allegiance lies, and why you're... I'm talking about before you're a mom or you're a dad, before you're an employee, before you're a student, you need to establish who you are, where your allegiance lies, and why you're here. Because once you determine that in the kingdom of God, it will shape and influence the rest. It'll influence how you parent. It'll influence how you, how you act and react in your marriage. It'll influence how you work. It'll influence your behavior in the earth. If you have determined who you are in Christ, that your allegiance is only to him, and that you're here on mission. Guys, back in the late 90s, I had just graduated from Christ for the Nations, and a movie came out that I loved. It was the original Matrix movie. How many of y'all remember that? I graduated from Christ for the Nations not uh, just a couple years earlier. And, and you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a it, it is certainly a biblical allegory, right? And, and so, you know, you, you had this guy, his name was Mr. Anderson, right? Neo. And in this story, Neo's living this everyday mundane human existence. It's like work and sleep. But he knows he's missing something. He knows there's something more. He can almost see it around him, but he doesn't know what it is until it's revealed to him, right? And he comes to this place where he finally realizes that he is enslaved and that the world that he's living in isn't even real compared to reality. And this changed everything. And he came to understand that he wasn't bound by the rules of this world. And he made it his mission to save others from that system that they had been born into that had enslaved them all. This is a pretty good description of our lives in the kingdom. Guys, we are not of this world. And Father has called you into the earth to wake others up to the fact that they are born under the curse of sin. They are slaves to sin. They are slaves to the curse. They are slaves to darkness. We are to share the gospel, the good news, and tell them there's a way out of this curse. And to lead them out of it. To tell them that you don't have to continue in the darkness. You can come into the light today. Guys, you are to bring the kingdom of heaven. You are to bring the kingdom of God to earth every 
day, everywhere you go, in everything that you do, you are to bring heaven to earth. I'm not talking about the location. Earth does not become heaven. I'm talking about the rule, the culture of heaven. We're to bring that to earth. You bring kingdom to earth. You bring the kingdom of heaven. You bring the kingdom of God to earth every time you love your neighbor as yourself. You bring a little more of the kingdom every time you bless and smile. Bless someone, maybe a waiter or waitress, whoever it may be. You bring the kingdom to earth every time you respond in love rather than anger. You bring the kingdom of God to earth every time you're generous. You bring the kingdom of God to earth every time you work hard to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. Every time you forgive. Every time you prove yourself to be a person of integrity and morality and character just like your father. Every time you resist the enemy. Every time you take back what he's stolen. Every time you take ground. Every time you practice patience and self-control. Every time you show yourself to be the hardest worker at your place of employment. Every time you honor God, you bring heaven to earth. You're establishing the kingdom of God where you're at. Every time we act like citizens of heaven, rather than acting like everybody else in the world, we bring a little more of heaven to earth. Every time we respond the way Jesus would, rather than the way people expect us to respond, we bring heaven to earth. Every time you share the love of God and, and, and you share the gospel and you make disciples, you are establishing and expanding the kingdom of God in the earth. In closing, I told you my, my original thought was make room. That we needed to make room for more of God in our lives. And guys, I'm all for it. We sang it this morning. I will make room for you, right? We will make space. We will make room. We're cleaning out the clutter, making room for you, right? Come up and take residence. Please do that, okay? That this is what we do. We're working out the flesh our, our whole lifetime. We're working these Please do that. But let me tell you, there's a part of me that feels like when we every now and again, every January 1st, we're like, Lord, I'm going to make room for you this year. You know, I'm busy. You know, I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a teacher. I'm a plumber. I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a whatever. You know, I've got a busy life. But Lord, this year, I'm going to make room for you. And you know what? I'm going to give you 15 minutes of my time each day this year. Guys, it's a great, great thing if we do it. But when I changed my perspective a little bit, it, it kind of fell so short that it almost felt like, almost feels like you're giving God your leftovers when you look at it that way. Please spend time with the Lord. Please give him 15 minutes in your day. Please do that. But I want to encourage you for just a moment before we close to change your perspective for a moment. As human beings, how many of you know that what we do in this natural life many times gets wrapped up in our identity? Our identity, maybe I said that backwards, our identity gets wrapped up in what we do, right? You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay, so, so I'm standing there as a man. And I'm waiting on something, and another man has been told to come and wait, and so he comes over and he stands next to me. Guys, that's awkward sometimes, two men. They're like, mm, 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 mm. And then you stand there awkwardly, a lot of times silence. And Zach's like, nope, not me. We know, brother. Hold me. <laughs> Hold me. <laughs> I was about to take that somewhere I shouldn't. Um, 
So we, we'll, we'll do, we, a lot of times guys will do the head nod. Awkward. Crazy weather, huh? Yeah, yeah, crazy weather. What's usually the first question a guy asks? So what do you do? Oh, I'm a I'm, 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 I'm plumber. What do, what do you do? Because we've made it part of our identity. It's a surface level answer coming from something that we have made our identity. For instance, maybe this will hit a little closer to home for some of y'all. We had our community group Wednesday night, and actually, uh, like Pastor Shauna said, y'all are all welcome for the next couple weeks. We're just having prayer, uh, like a corporate prayer time. But I was sharing with a couple guys that are here today. I was sharing. We were praying over each other, and so we had three of us in a group, and, and, and they said, well, what do you want prayer for? And I said, you know, Sean and I are in a crazy season in our lives. Everything that's been kind of constant for the last 20 to 25 years is quickly being turned upside down. Parents come to that point in their life eventually, right? And it's hard. That's why, do you guys know that the average age of divorce in the United States is, is, is going way up? It's much more common now. It's 20 to 25 years many times that people are married when they're getting divorced now. Why? Because they made their identity wrapped up in the children. And once the children were gone, these two people looked at each other and said, I don't know who you are. Our identity was never meant to be wrapped up in our children. I'm very glad that that's something that Sean and I established in our marriage was to put each other first in our family and then our kids because it's already been a tough last year for us. We've cried and stuff more than the last year. We haven't five or ten years combined because everything's changing. But our identity is not in them. Right? Have you know, what was the trait of the Apostle Paul? Does nobody know? He was a tent maker. Yeah. He was a tent maker. And we don't hear much about his tent making in Scripture, just a couple of places. But we know that he funded his second missionary journey to Corinth. Brother was working. And he was making tents. Let me show it to you real quick. Acts 18. Verse 1, it says, when Paul left Athens, he traveled to Corinth, where he met a Jewish man named Aquila. Y'all remember Aquila? He was originally from northeastern Turkey. He and his wife Priscilla had recently immigrated from Italy to Corinth because Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. Since Paul and Aquila were both tent makers by trade, Paul moved in with them, and they became business partners. He's on a missions trip. Now, it was couple of years that he was in court or was at Ephesus. Eh, it was a while that he was there. But verse four says, and every Sabbath day, Paul spoke openly in the synagogue to both Jews and non-Jews, attempting to persuade them to believe the message of Jesus. Paul was a tent maker. It was not a hobby. It was his trade. It's how he supported himself. But you hear very little, just a couple of times in scripture, do you hear about Paul's tent making. As a matter of fact, I think if Paul was one of those two men that were standing there and the guy turned to Paul and said, so tell me a little about yourself. I very much doubt that Paul would have opened the dialogue talking about tent making. I think if the guy had said, so what do you do? I think Paul would have said something along the lines of, I'm an ambassador of Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the other dude would have been like, what is that? And the door would have been wide open. 
<laughs> and he'd be established in a church the next day. That's Paul, right? Now, maybe somewhere along the conversation, along the way, he would have said, by the way, I'm good with tents. I, I tend to make them. If you ever need help, let me know. But it was not his mission. It was not his identity. Y'all know Jesus was a carpenter, right? We don't, we don't know if Jesus did any carpentry from the time he started his ministry or not. But how many of you are open to the reality that he could have? It's possible. If anything, I can imagine, you know, some of his closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and we know that's a place where he would go and he could, his brother could kick off his sandals and he could relax and he could eat dinner and they enjoyed their time together. And I can imagine sometime knowing Martha and what we read about her, I can see her at dinner sometime going, hey, Jesus, by the way, before you go to bed tonight, you mind looking at that chair over there for me? The one that, you know, the one that's kind of wobbly that we don't want anybody to sit in, so we put it in the corner. We've all had that chair before, right? Puts it, do, you mind, do you mind checking that out right quick? Because tell me where that needs to be replaced, where that can be fixed. I don't know about you, but, I mean, Jesus had 30 years experience. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to buy some furniture from the Son of God. That'd be kind of cool, you know? I don't know if he did any carpentry once he started his ministry or not, but he could have. It was his trade for 30 years or <laughs> probably 25 anyway probably was doing it as a small kid but it was not his identity and it was not his mission I think we need to change perspective and please hear me in this because I don't want this to come out wrong instead of making room for God all the time now listen like I say we'll be doing that our whole life because we're working out the flesh we're, 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 we're moving forward. But instead of having this perspective of making room for God, I think that we need to remember that we live for him, that he, we belong to him, and that we live to serve him, that we're always on mission, and we come to the place where we recognize that we got to make room for some things in this natural world in the midst of our mission for God. For instance, there are some necessities of human life. I don't know about you, but I've got to sleep. We got to make some room in our mission for God to sleep. We got to take care of our bodies. Why? Because our bodies are what carry out the mission of God in the earth, right? It's the vessel, it's the avenue. We got to take care of our body. We got to feed it, hopefully, take care of it. And we got to work to earn a wage. For what? To support ourselves and the family that God has given us for the work of ministry. Period. That sounds really weird to stay in a church and say we need to make room for the world. But when we change the perspective and realize that we belong to him and we are 24 hours a day on mission, we're going to also recognize there's some necessities of life that we got to make room for in the midst of that. You know what? I got to work to support this call that God has given me. And I got to take care of my family. And I got to get some rest. Does this make sense? I'm just kind of flipping it on its head just a little bit. Really, when you get the right perspective and recognize who you are, why you're here, and why you're here, you won't be making room for God. You'll be making room in the natural for the things you need to support the work of ministry. I simply think that we've somehow gotten a little confused in our identity. We've gotten so wrapped up in the mundane details of everyday natural life that we've made those details our identity. I don't know what it is you do. Yes, you're a mom or you're a dad or 
Yes, you're a teacher or whatever it may be, but that is not your mission and it is not your identity. You may love it. Awesome. Hopefully you do love what you do, but it's not your mission and it is not your identity. Our job is to expand the kingdom of God and bring heaven to earth. Every time we're at home, at work, at church, at school, in our neighborhood, in our community, at the store, everywhere we go, heaven should be coming to earth. The kingdom of God should be expanded. Why? Because you are there. And you're carrying out the will of the Father. And you're on mission. As ambassadors of the king, we steward the earth on his behalf. We represent him everywhere we go. And this changes the way that we live our lives. And ultimately, it changes the way that God uses us to bring transformation in the earth. When we recognize who we are, where our allegiance lies, and why we are here. Kingdom culture, I read this recently, kingdom culture is the glue that holds together the family of God. It shapes how we speak, it shapes our attitudes, our behaviors, and it shapes our heart. Kingdom culture. How many of you know, we live and reside in an earthly culture. But God's kingdom has a culture. It's the culture of heaven. As Christ followers, our mission is to bring God's kingdom and culture into the places where we live, where we work, where we study, and to every corner of our society. And we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. My question to you is, how are you doing? How are you changing the atmosphere in your everyday life? How are you bringing heaven to earth? May his kingdom come. May his will be done in your life, in your community, in your family, just as it is in heaven because you're there and you're a carrier of the kingdom of God. Amen? Heaven to earth. Let's stand up. I want to invite the worship team to come up. Guys, again, I love that song. We make space. We make room. I want you to recognize that this is an act of our will. This is where we pray, God, less of me and more of you. Guys, from the day we say yes to Jesus, our life should start transforming. Look, guys, it's, it is January the 15th. I pray that you can look back and you can see where God has brought you over the last year. And you're a little closer to him and you look a little more like Jesus than you did January 15th of 2022. If not, I implore you to seek him and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in my life? I implore you to draw close to him. Because every day, we should be looking more and more like citizens of heaven and less and less like citizens of the kingdoms of this world. If not, there's a problem. We weren't meant to ever be stagnant. We weren't meant to ever stand still. We were meant to be running hard after him with our eyes focused on Jesus. And if we're doing that, then our sphere of influence is going to be affected. That could be a measuring stick for where you're at. How is your workplace transformed for the kingdom of God because you're there? How is your neighborhood transformed for the kingdom of God because you're there? How is your school being transformed from the kingdom of God because you're there? 
Don't just make room. Change your mindset and your perspective and recognize who you are. You're a child of the King. Where your allegiance lies to Jesus Christ and why you're here. You're on mission as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere you go, every moment of every day. It's really all about identity, guys. It's all about identity. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. First and foremost, if you're here and you recognize that you are not a member of the kingdom of God, you are not a citizen of the kingdom of God, and your allegiance is not to Jesus, then you've already heard the gospel. The good news is Jesus made a way. He knew that you couldn't get into the kingdom of God on your own. He knew that you needed saving. And so he offers you salvation, forgiveness of sin, and a doorway into the kingdom of God. Being born out, being dying spiritually in this kingdom under a curse and being born again into the kingdom of God, into life, into that everlasting life that we read about in John 3, 16. The Bible says that we've all, fall, all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us, 100%. But Jesus, he came and he lived the perfect life fulfilling the will of the Father, destroying the works of the enemy, and ultimately dying on that cross willingly for you and me, breaking the curse that we had been born under. And now we choose whether we're going to continue to live under that curse or whether we're going to say yes to Jesus, making him Lord of our life, allowing him to come in to make us a brand new creation and changing everything, bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And understand, as I, I, I've said this a bunch of times before, it's not about the prayer that you pray. It's about a decision. It's about allegiance. Most often as Americans, our allegiance is to ourselves. We live in a very selfish society. It's all about me. The Holy Spirit's drawing you today and he's asking you to change allegiance change your allegiance from being to yourself. He's saying, give me your allegiance. He's saying, give me everything. And if you give him everything, guys, I promise he'll give you everything and it is not an even exchange. <laughs> he gives you far more than you would ever deserve. Infinitely more. That great exchange, <laughs> when you look at that in natural terms, that was a bad deal on his end. It's a great deal for us. He took your punishment. He took your shame. He took your sin. He took your sickness. And he gave you everlasting life. Life abundant. That you would prosper in every area your heads bowed. If that's you and you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, you know your allegiance today is not to him. I don't care if you prayed a prayer in VBS when you were six. I'm talking about right now. You recognize your allegiance is not to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand and say, I need Jesus today. Anybody in this place would say, I need Jesus. Maybe you're watching online today. Maybe you're with us over at Rolling Hills with Mr. Mike. Maybe you're in another country. Maybe you're watching this a year from now. 
the Holy Spirit is present with you right now, right where you're at. And he's drawing at you and he's tugging at your heart. And God's love is just engulfing you. I'm going to pray a prayer. And like I said, it's not so much about the prayer as it is the posture of your heart. It's a posture of surrender, a posture of repenting for relying on your own self, repenting for your sin, surrendering to him, laying everything down at his feet, believing that Jesus is the son of God, that he willingly gave his life for you, and that he rose from the dead and making him your savior, your Lord, your Messiah, your one true king and following him all the days of your life. You'll never be the same again. As you walk through this life, you'll know that you as an ambassador, you have all the backing of heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just say something like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus because I am lost and dead in my sin. My allegiance has not been to you. I owe a debt I can never repay. Today, I repent for the way I've lived my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. Jesus, I believe you are who the Bible says you are. You are the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for me. I believe that you rose from the grave. That you're seated at the right hand of the Father. I choose to die with you and to be born again as a new creation. Wash clean, pursuing you all the days of my life. And just say, Holy Spirit, fill me, baptize me. All that I need to live this life for you, to be a shining example of the gospel, to be a good ambassador in this earth. I'll follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. So guys, we're going to sing this worship song. We're going to sing a couple more choruses. And I want you to take just a moment and I want you to press in as we sing this, as we lift up our voices to the Lord. And, and I want you to think about your perspective and how you view yourself and your identity. Figure out what you've got to do. What's thinking, thinking, as dad says, you've got to change in your own mind about your identity and who you've always been told you were and who you think you are that's so tied sometimes to what you do well or whatever it may be. Recognize who you are, where your allegiance lies, and why you're here. And when you recognize those three things, it will change every sphere of influence. It'll change every area of your life. It'll reshape it all because it's bringing heaven to earth. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.